did you know that Christianity is the only religion which calls its message the good news? See, all other religions in the world call its uh, tenets um, maybe a law, a way, or philosophy, or something like that. But Christianity makes a qualitative claim that it is good. Not ju just that it is good, it is the good news. Now, what is so good about that good news compared to the philosophies or ideology for other religious beliefs? Why is Christianity's message, only Christianity's message called the good news? Now, this is a question I had been pondering for almost 12 years in my life. And I cannot summarize everything I learned in the next 20 minutes or so. So I am going to refer you to a resource which I hope you will find very, very helpful. It will be complimentary or supplementary to my sermon. It is called the Mosaic Course, and I am recommending that for three different reasons. First, it was developed by me. <laughs> and the second, it was produced here at Lake Avenue Church. And number three, it is free. So I am not selling you anything, okay? It is free at least for the time being because uh, one of the largest publishers in the evangelical world, David C. Cook, I don't know if you know them, uh, they have acquired the course and they are going to do an international release very soon and they may put a price tag on it. But right now it is free if you want to check online uh, and you will get some information outside at the alpha table. Uh, talking about Alpha, by the way, um, I wanted to make a small change from the announcement I made last week. Uh, due to the popular demand, we have decided to make the Alpha course for free. Um, oh, <laughs> um, Alpha course, as you know, it comes with a dinner and then there is a video then there's a discussion. I want you to know that if you don't know already about the Alpha course, it will be a great platform, a very non-threatening platform for you to invite your friends who don't know anything about church or who don't know anything about Christ. They will feel very, very welcome. So use that opportunity as an evangelism. It is not a confrontational way of doing evangelism, but a very invitational way of doing it. So use that opportunity Come with your friends and be blessed, and it will be a blessing. Again, at the Alpha table, right outside, you'll get more information. Let's stand for the reading of the word. I'm reading from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 8 in the NASB version. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied.
emptied himself, taking the form of a bond servant and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Have you ever wondered what would have been the most difficult thing for God to do? Or let me put it another way. If you become God one day, what, would, what do you think will be the most difficult thing for you to do? Do you wonder about this kind of things or is it just me? I keep thinking about this kind of stuff. You know, last week we had the privilege to visit JPL by our JPL family here at Lake gave us a VIP tour to see the Mars rover, which is about to be, you know, going to Mars, I guess, right? So, <laughs> so um, that when we were going through this JPL and the, all those displays and they have, they showed us a 3D movie about the universe and that made me wonder about the beauty and the majesty of the universe, the spectacular nature of the solar systems and the galaxies. And I'm thinking, man, wow, how did God make all this? Then I thought, well, if I am God, it might be very easy for me to make all this, right? I think it is like, it is like uh, you know, it's like making an omelet in the morning or something. That, that's the only thing I make, uh, you, you know, that's the only thing I can cook. Uh, it, it is like, can you picture God getting up in the morning and, oh, okay, let me make uh, the universe today, right? He take an egg and pop it, and then he put some planets here and some, some, some stars here and, 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 and some scrambles, some black holes all around, and, and voila, the universe comes, right? It's just as easy as it is. And our friends here at JPL are trying to figure out this omelet God made in the morning, whereas God is up cooking lasagna for lunch, right? <laughs> so he is so powerful, God can do anything. But I believe, in my theory, I believe the most difficult thing God has ever done is not creation, but incarnation. You know, incarnation? Incarnation is the process in which God became a human being. And in theological language, we call it the process of kenosis. God emptying himself. God letting go of himself. Taking the form of a servant being in the likeness of man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even the death on a cross. The infinite God becoming a finite being. Now that is something goes way beyond our rational 
comprehension. And that is a big difference between Christian God and the gods of all other religions. Because the idea of incarnation is very unique to Christianity. If you say to a Jew or a Muslim that God became a human being, that is the worst kind of blasphemy. Because God cannot become a material, finite being. Buddhism doesn't have a concept of God at all. You know, it, is, it doesn't have a developed concept of God. Hinduism probably might be the one closest that could understand this concept. They have this idea of avatar. How many of you heard the word avatar? I know. It's a James Cameron movie, right? <laughs> but did you know that it is a Sanskrit word comes from India? It is actually coming from the theological vocabulary of Hinduism, which really means the descent of God. God coming down into the material world. That is what the word avatar really means, a descent of God. But the difference though, it is only a manifestation of God. God shows up as a human being or other beings. But it doesn't require the emptying of God. It doesn't require the kenosis of God. God doesn't empty himself. Now this incarnation or the emptying of God that is what makes Christianity stands apart from all other religion. You know, when people say that you know, Christianity is just another religion. You know, it makes me laugh because it only shows the blatant stupidity of that person. That only shows that, you know, I don't mind people saying that Christianity doesn't make sense, Christianity is irrelevant, that's okay. Everybody is entitled to, to your opinion. But if you say Christianity is just like another religion, that only means that you don't know anything about any religion. Because Christianity is the opposite of all religions. Okay, let me, let, me, let me prove this to you in a language we will all understand, particularly in Los Angeles, okay? <laughs> How many of you have watched this TV show called The Apprentice? I have a picture. Oh, come on, come on, come on. <laughs> okay, let me make this very clear to you, okay? Let me make this very clear to you. I am not a Republican. I am not a Democrat. I am a Canadian, okay? <laughs> so I don't care about your politics, but I know a good TV show when I saw it. Yeah? So I used to watch this show, you know, especially when it came out very religiously. I loved the show. I gleaned a lot of lessons in corporate life I used to have at the time and I'd adopted from this particular TV show. So for all the Democrats in the room who have not watched this show, let me explain this show to you, okay? So it is a reality show about a boss in his boardroom, right? And then he sends out his minions into the world or into the field, mostly to New York City, and then all they have to do is they have to accomplish a task. They have to fulfill a goal and then after that, they will all come back to the boardroom, right? And if they accomplish the task, they have been successful at the task, 
then they will be rewarded, right? And if they did not do a good job, they will be fired, <laughs> of course. <laughs> they will be fired, right? Now, it is more or less like religion. Don't you think so? Our concept of religion is shaped like this. It is one of the reasons it deeply resonates with the, with the, with the it's psychological chord, right? You know, our understanding of God is this, this mighty being sitting in a boardroom, in a throne. He is the big boss. And we are the little minions running around the world. He has sent us to this world so that we can do some tasks. We can run his errands. We can do his chores. And then we, we do all this. And finally, when we die, we all go to the boardroom where the big boss is going to judge what we did. And if he did a good job, we will be rewarded. And if he did, didn't do a good job, we will go to the other place where we will be literally fired, right? <laughs> that is our understanding of religion. Now, now, there is another TV show called The Undercover Boss. I don't know how many of you have seen that show, The Undercover Boss. Now, this is also a reality show about the corporate environment. This show also has a boss. This show also has a boardroom. But there is a dramatic twist in the way the plot is unfolding in this show. In this show, the boss doesn't sit in the boardroom, but he empties himself. He takes the form of one of the employees in his organization, and he works with them. He faces the harsh realities of life with all his employees, and he becomes part of their story, and he becomes one of them. And in the end, there is again, they are brought back to the boardroom, just like the show Apprentice. But big, big difference in the way people react, in the way boss reacts. And I still remember the first show they aired, it was about a company called Waste Management Inc. And uh, the CEO of that company he became, he went undercover as one, as a blue collar employee in his organization. And he would, nobody could recognize him, but he was basically with them collecting garbage from the piles. And he was sorting out waste in a recycle facility. And that he was even cleaning porta porties in even sites and all these things. And I, all along, the people didn't recognize it is the big boss who is working with them, standing in the pile of rotten garbage. But then they are brought to the boardroom. There is this big reveal. Oh, this is our CEO. But even more shocking was the reaction of that big boss. He was crying like a little kid. Because he was not just a boss who sits on the throne and judges what people do or what we, they don't know. But he was one of them. 
He knew their story. He understood their pain. He faced the same realities they were facing. He listened to their stories in the lunch, lunch room. So he had a completely different understanding about his company and his employees. Now, the God of religions is a God of apprentice. The God of Christianity is the one who went undercover. We celebrated Christmas. We celebrated Christmas. Christmas is the day God decided to go undercover. That is the day God went undercover. Why would God do something like that? Why would God, do, why would God go undercover? Now, to talk about this, I have to talk about something politically incorrect. I have to, I have to use, a, use a word called sin. Sin, okay? I know <laughs> it is like an S word. We don't hear. It's like a theological slur. You hardly hear it even in churches and even in seminaries. We don't talk about sin anymore. Because Christians are often accused in popular culture that we call everybody sinners. Right? Honestly, that was my problem with Christians too before I became one. They called me a sinner. I was a perfect human being, I, you know, in, in, in so many ways. Hey, I never committed a murder. I've never done highway robbery or anything like that. I've never done adultery. I, I was even brought up in a home which believed that we never drank, we never smoked. My parents believed that even watching movie was a sin. So that's a kind of a nice, it was not even a Christian home, by the way. I was brought up, with, uh, which placed high ethical values of life, you know, in, in life. Anyway, the point is, then people call me sinner. I didn't understand until one preacher explained it to me. He redefined sin for me in a very interesting way. See, the real word of sin, the root word of sin, it comes from a Greek word the, as it is represent, represented in the New Testament is hamartia. Hamartia. I'm not a Greek scholar, so I'm going to pull up a slide from one of the professors. So that's really what the word is used in the New Testament whenever Jesus spoke about sin or whenever Paul or Peter spoke about sin. The word they used is hamartia. Now, hamartia literally means, as you can see, is missing the mark. That's all it means. Somebody missing the mark. It doesn't necessarily mean a morally inappropriate action. It's just that you didn't hit the target. Let me use an example. Say, there is a father who is an engineer who runs a big engineering firm. It was in their family forever. He sends his son to university to do engineering so that he can come back and take over his family business. That makes sense, right? The son goes to university, and the son decides, I don't like engineering. I'm going to go to medicine. So he goes to medicine, and he became one of the famous cardiac surgeon or, you know, some, some famous surgeon. He makes a lot of money. He gives it all away to charity. He volunteers for Doctors with Borders. And he, he becomes a very successful doctor instead of an engineer. We will say, boy, great job, great job. He followed his passion. But unfortunately, that is exactly what we call hamartia. Because 
he didn't play the intended role in the bigger narrative in which his story is written. I know it doesn't make any sense, because what he did, there was nothing morally inappropriate about what he did, right? In a way, it is morally superior what he did. He became a doctor, he helped people, he volunteered, he gave everything away, but he still committed hamartia because he didn't miss, he missed the mark in the bigger narrative. So it is not just about the morality of the action itself, but it is considered in a bigger narrative, like, you know. So that's what really separates us from God. So we, when we talk about sins as, oh, you know, I don't, I don't kill, I don't steal, and all these things, when we say all this, we are talking about the word sin with a small s. But it, all the sins are produced by the sin, which is with a capital S, which is hamartia, which is a separation from God, which is missing the market. We, we don't have the relationship with God, all right. It doesn't matter why, how good you do in other realms. We are not performing the intended role in the story God is writing in this world, which is the root cause of all other sins with small yes. Now, that's why, you know, that famous Michelangelo painting, you must have seen the creation of Adam, right? And uh, there is this yearning heart of God. God reaches out to man, and the man reaches out to God, and they are almost touching, but it is. Their the hands are not touching. Now, that is the problem of the world today. The hands are not touching. That is exactly what hamartia, that is the mark that is being missed. So religions give us a list of chores to do. You do this, you do that, so that you can please God. And religions give us a list of uh, ceremonies or rituals and so that somehow we can please God and fill this gap. And nothing we have ever done has ever pleased God. Nothing we can do can fill that gap. So in Christianity, God says, I will do something. You have tried and failed, right? That's why people hate religion, because religion is about doing this, doing that. In the end, there is no satisfaction. It, is, it becomes a tiresome chore. That is why people hate religion. It's not because they hate God. I know this. I've done enough research in this field. People hate religion because it's all about doing this and doing that. And in the end, with no meaning in the end. There is no relationship. There is no effect. Nothing happens. That is why they hate religion. Then in Christianity, God says, you try, right? Now let me do this. Only in Christianity, God takes the initiative for salvation. God takes the initiative. But here is a big problem, though, for God to face. Because God cannot just go and embrace the sinful humanity. So we always say, if I am God, I'll just forgive everybody, right? Just that's it. <laughs> Why all this drama on the cross? Why Jesus Christ comes to this world? Why he empties himself and kills himself? All this, spe all this spectacle is being created for salvation. Can God just forgive us all? That's a good question, right? It is simply because God is also a just judge. 
He cannot contradict or he cannot break the law he has himself set up for the universe to run in motion. That questions his integrity as a just judge because he sets the law of morality of the cosmos, right? So on one side, he is the just judge. He has to punish Hamartia. And on the other side, he is also a loving father. He has to love and embrace humanity. In theological language, we call it a divine dilemma. A divine dilemma. If you go to the next picture, it is illustrated as a yes. You know, on one side, God has to punish Hamaria because, you know, he is a God who, is, who, is a, who lives in ultimate holiness. But on the other side, his heart yearns for sinful humanity. Now, all religions stumble at this point. No religion knows how to handle this crisis. So they, they continue to prescribe more medication and more medication, and there is no solution. But in Christianity, God empties himself, coming in the form of a man, coming in the form of humanity, and embraces this punishment. He embraces the wages of sin, which is death, on his body, on the cross, and he lets humanity go free. Because on the cross of Christ, the wrath of God, as we sang today, or the punishment of sin is fulfilled, the requirement of the law is fulfilled, but also the love of God is manifested as well. Because without the cross of Christ, there cannot be salvation. It doesn't matter which religion you belong to. Without the cross of Christ, the justice of God and the mercy of God cannot meet. On the cross of Christ, the law of God and the love of God meets. That is why the cross is the ultimate good news Christianity gives to the world. That is the ultimate message of freedom. Christianity gives. When religion tells you, do this, do this, do not do this, do not do this, Jesus said, it is finished, it is done. It is done. See? See, Christianity is not a do religion. Christianity is not a don't religion. Christianity is a done religion. The cross is the end of religion and it is the beginning of a relationship. See, it is a different paradigm. God is inviting. That's why evangelicals use this word. Have you entered into a personal relationship with Jesus? Some people, you know, drive some people mad because, but, but, and for, you know, this is what Christianity can offer to you, a personal relationship with God. See, righteousness, righteousness in Christianity is not about doing the right thing. It is about entering into a right relationship with God, right? Because the righteousness, your action, my daughter, when my daughter does something, whether something which I like with something I don't like, her actions don't define our relationship. Our relationship is what defines her action. Nothing that she can do that will make me love her less. 
Because it is the relationship that defines all other action. That is the difference between Christianity and all other religions. All other religions are based on the idea of karma or the work where God is going to have some moral scale where he, where he judges your action based on whether it is good or bad. Then he gives you punishment or, the, or he is going to send you to heaven or hell. But Christianity says it is not just about doing the right thing. It is about entering into a right relationship and we are doing the right thing not because we are right not not because we want to be righteous but because we are already righteous in Christ so righteousness is important doing the right thing is important we are not discrediting that but we are not doing the right thing so that we can earn salvation salvation is not something that cannot be earned it is given free it is done and we are doing the right thing because we are already righteous in Christ and today as I close and I invite you into that relationship with them the word of the cross is a foolishness to those who are perishing but unto us who are being saved, it is the power of God. See, I have nothing to preach to you today except the cross of Christ. And Paul said, we preach Christ crucified. That's all I can preach. That's all we have to preach. That's all we should be preaching in our churches, but it is so common to go to an evangelical churches nowadays and we will never hear the cross because it is not that pleasant message. But here we preach the Christ crucified. And the Son of Man who is on the cross will be lifted up at Lake Avenue Church because him and him alone, his cross alone, is what that brings us salvation. Amen. And I, as the worship team comes up, I'm giving you an opportunity. I don't know. I've never done this before. <laughs> but if you have never understood what salvation is, if you've never accepted Jesus into your life as a personal Savior, if you have never understood the depth of the cross, if Christianity was all about a set of moral actions for you just like any other religion, today is a day you commit your life to Christ. And as I close in prayer, I would like to pray specifically for you. If anybody takes that decision today, I promise you, I, I, I want everybody to close their eyes so that it is just God and myself looking at you. And I promise I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come to the front or anything. But I would like to pray with you. I would like to pray for you. Is there anybody who would like to surrender their life to Jesus. The cross, the ultimate good news of Christianity that he has brought by emptying himself. If you raise your hand, I'll pray, pray for you. Is there anybody? Thank you. 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 Let's pray.
Father God, the only thing we read, really read right now, read, need right now, is the power of God. And it comes only from the blood that is shed on the cross. Lord, I bring to you Lake Avenue Church as a sacrifice on the altar. And you take it from our hand and do your mighty work through our community, Lord, in this place. Help us to be incarnate community. Help us to empty ourselves of all our ideas, all our notions, all our philosophies, so that we will become pure vessels that manifest the power of the cross in this community. Let us specifically pray for all those brothers and sisters who raise their hands. Would you enter into their life in a very, very special way. That will, they will feel the power of the cross leading them. Let their hand touch the hand of God. Let them hit the dead center of the target that you have set for them. And they will understand the power and the beauty of the cross. Bless us together. In Jesus' name we pray.